The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered cold-filtered, and cold-packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself. Because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order? Cashback guru? Low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you. Because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store. Even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. This is the story of Harry's. For decades, one big razor company has relentlessly increased prices and reaped immense profits at the expense of its customers. Then one day, an ordinary guy got ripped off buying razors. He was so fed up that he and his best friend started a company to fix shaving. They called it Harry's. By taking less profit and selling online, Harry's can offer quality blades for less. You can even get Harry's 5-blade razor and shave gel for free when you sign up. Just cover shipping. Click or go to harrys.com and enter code RAZOR at checkout. That's RAZOR, R-A-Z-O-R. Welcome to the Rotowire Prospect Podcast. Derek Van Riper, James Anderson. Going to talk AL Central this week. New intro track this season from New Day. It's called Lion Kings. You can check out New Day on Twitter at N E U D A E Music. 
It's on Twitter. Definitely give him a listen. Give him some downloads as well. Uh, James, we're talking AL Central this week, which is the weakest division in baseball from a farm system standpoint. Uh, still some value to kind of pluck away from and at least one team that became a lot more interesting uh, over the course of the winter thanks to the White Sox being very aggressive you know moving Chris Sale moving Adam Eaton on the surface to me it seemed like they got a lot of value and it kind of feels like Rick Hahn is kind of putting his stamp on the organization now as opposed to uh, his first couple years as GM when it still felt like Kenny Williams was uh, making a lot of decisions. Yeah, they were really fortunate that they were able to lock up guys like Eaton and Sale on club-friendly deals, and then this kind of freed them up to to make these big moves and really overhaul that system. It would have been one of the worst systems in baseball prior to making those moves, and there's probably still some moves still to make with guys like Jose Quintana, uh, maybe Nate Jones, maybe maybe David Robertson. Uh, but right now, it's you know the top three guys in this system are the top three guys in this division in Jan Mankata, Lucas Giolito, and Michael Kopech. Yeah, it's really a, a kind of a star-driven system because you could see all three of those guys being elite, potentially. I mean, Mankata has 30-30 upside. He could end up being the long-term second baseman. If defensively, he has to move. It's, his bat's going to play no matter where he's at. Uh, I think the question many people have is, when do you expect to see Yohan Mankata getting that opportunity in Chicago this year? Because in redraft leagues, he's kind of a slippery slope. You take him too early, you may have to wait maybe a half season to use him. And if that happens, you may end up disappointed in the final results. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't bank on him being up until June, maybe. Uh, it's going to be kind of up to him if he's just murdering AAA pitching and not striking out. Then he'll be up kind of, you know, whenever. I mean, he could be up in like late April if he's just looking like he's just completely dominating at triple A, but they don't have to rush him. Like if he's if he's still striking out at like a say like a twenty five percent clip and they don't have like an obvious hole, like nobody's nobody's injured or anything like that, then they can just leave him down until he just really gets on a tear down there. So it is it's a bit of a gamble. I based on where he's going in drafts right now, I don't think it's a huge risk because you're not you're not really forking over uh, a ton to roster him right now. I think it's it's a worthwhile gamble at, at his current price, but you should be uh, prepared for him to, to not debut until June or July. The weird thing is I like the idea of getting him more in snake drafts at his current ADP than I do getting into a bidding war in an auction where you know, 8 10 12 bucks, especially the higher end of that range, becomes more problematic. The, uh, the thought of giving up a, I don't know, a 15th or 16th round pick in a 15-team mixed league doesn't really bother me uh, quite as much. The other thing that's kind of a, uh, a path for him is that uh, the White Sox seem to think he could play center field. You know, he has a lot of speed, so it makes sense that he could handle that position. Um, so maybe it depends on how Charlie Tilson handles his opportunity to be the primary center fielder to begin the season more so than it is just uh, you know what's going on in the infield I mean Mancata's the kind of player though if he's mashing in the minors I feel like they're just going to bring him up once he proves that he's ready and the thing people are, are going to be looking at from last year is that eight game sample with Boston when he struck out 12 times in 20 plate appearances it's pretty meaningless when you think about it in the grand scheme of things an eight game sample for a 21 year old seeing the big leagues for the first time should not be used to judge him in any way whatsoever no i i think you have to look at what he did at double a and you know there were still some issues there i mean before the call up uh he was striking out at a at a clip that you you don't typically see from a guy who's the number one prospect 
in baseball and he skips triple a altogether i mean that just kind of gives you you know a, a glimpse at where he's at developmentally this isn't a guy who is like chris bryan a couple years ago where we're just like yep this guy's ready like he, he's he's gonna hit and he's gonna hit right away uh Mankata still has some things to prove but i mean the tools are just they're they're pretty rare i mean he could be one of those guys who's like a, a consensus top 10 top 15 pick in drafts for for five or six straight years now let's talk about Lucas Giolito, uh, the big piece they got in the Adam Eaton trade. Uh, 675 ERA, 178 whip in six appearances last year for the Nats. Four of those were starts. I mean, very lackluster numbers overall. Uh, he walked more guys than he struck out in that limited sample. Uh, the numbers at AAA were very good. Yet again, the numbers at AA uh, weren't quite as good as what he did in Syracuse, but still in line with expectations. Uh, how much stock do you put into his struggles upon getting that call to Washington last year? Because like Mankata, we're talking about a guy in Lucas Giolito who was just 21 years old in his first exposure to the big leagues last year. Well, the the number one concern is the velocity dip uh, last year. He was, I think his average fastball was, was below 94 miles an hour. Uh, and, you know, in his peak, like prospect kind of frenzy heyday i mean he was he was kind of 96 uh with the fastball and and that really made that a you know a plus plus pitch uh potentially plus plus pitch and you know if he's just sitting there at 93 and it's it's kind of straight and he's he's not really throwing his off-speed stuff for strikes then he's you know a lot more hittable so you know i'd like to see the velocity come back i mean there's no guarantee that that's going to happen he he kind of blamed uh I think he blamed the the dip on some mechanical issues, but I mean, you're probably going to blame it on something. I mean, you're not going to just be like, I don't know what happened. Um, so I mean, I, I it, it's kind of a wait and see thing with him. I just I have a hard time still like confidently projecting him as like having an ace ceiling anymore, just because you know maybe he can maybe he can still be that guy but i i just don't think the nationals would have traded him if they still thought that that was realistic i mean teams just don't give guys away with six years of control who could be number one starters i mean that just almost never happens so i i think you have to kind of look at him as maybe just a you know maybe he can be a number two maybe he can be a guy who is a you know, a, a solid SP two in his peak years. I, I wouldn't want to project more than that, though, just based on the the struggle. I mean, and his changeup was was not great last year either. I mean, his his stuff just kind of all kind of backed up a little bit. It's not going to really show too much in the the triple A numbers, but um, you know, the command the the command was kind of an issue too. So, I mean, there's there's a lot of things here that that sort of have his stock down a little bit and maybe statistically he ends up being like a carlos martinez type player in the big leagues that's a good pitcher it's just mm-hmm. not the uh frontline level that we were maybe expecting from lucas giolito uh, as a prospect and, and still it, it's that's a good get for the white Sox long term they needed to rebuild this farm system and, and having a guy like that even if his ceiling's not as high as we once thought uh gives them a, a very valuable piece uh michael kopech on the other hand, might be the kind of guy that can exceed expectations. I mean, we saw him in the fall league, uh, big time velocity, has a nice slider. I think he's the kind of guy that if he gets that third pitch, if he gets that changeup really uh, kind of refined, the baby Cindergard comps and it's as much appearance as it is Arsenal. Like right. that could actually come to fruition. I, I, I can see it when I watch him pitch. And he's a guy where, like you know, he has all the. You know, is he a, is he a reliever? Is he a starter? Like the obvious, like third pitch command, 
issues, but he's a guy that can take a little bit off of his fastball and still be sitting like 97, 98 and, and throwing it for more strikes. So, uh, that's a nice luxury to have. And, you know, the, he's, he's a guy who I think this off season people are sort of split on and, like if you really, really think he's a starter, then I mean you could rank him ten spots higher. I, I have him ranked twenty six right now. I mean you could make a case for him being now that Alex Race is hurt. You could make a case for him being the number one pitching prospect in baseball if you're really confident he's going to start. I'm kind of hedging a little bit with this rank because you know even if he moves to the bullpen, I think he could be like a top three or four closer. So like the floor is is awfully high, but. Uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what he does this year. He could move quickly, like the the move. Actually, pro- the trade actually probably helps him because if the Red Sox needed him uh, or needed needed some uh, relief pitching depth, they could have they could have uh, fast tracked him this year, and maybe he doesn't fully develop as a starter. Maybe they just like like the idea of him as a lights out reliever. But now, like now that he's with the White Sox, they're going to do everything they can to to keep him a starter. Yeah, I would think he gets pretty much like three full seasons to figure it out as a starter before they would even think about putting him into the bullpen full-time because they're in a, a multi-year rebuilding project right now. Uh, Zach Collins, of course, their first rounder from the draft uh, last June. Pretty good chance he sticks at catcher. I mean, I think the the question is more about the defense than it is about right. the bat. Yeah, and and he's, I mean, I think of the catching prospects, like the, the top you know, five or six names that everyone kind of talks about right now. I think he's probably the guy with the biggest chance of moving off catcher. Uh, but his bat is is really special. I mean, his approach is great. I mean, in OBP leagues, especially, he could be he could be a monster, especially if he sticks at catcher. Uh, he could move really quickly. Like, you know, people are talking about. Nick Senzel possibly de- debuting this year. I mean, Collins could move just as quickly. I mean, the fact that he's a catcher might slow him down a little bit, but I think the bat's as advanced as anyone from that draft class. And by all accounts, we're talking about a player in Zach Collins who has a better hit tool than, say, uh, Mike Zanino, who came oh, yeah. out and was an early first-rounder a few years ago and has just never been able to really figure things out from a, from a batting average standpoint, in part because the Mariners probably rushed him to the big leagues. It seems like Collins' floor alone uh, with the bat is quite a bit higher than Zanino's at this point. Uh, Some other White Sox prospects, and this is going to be a very White Sox heavy episode, I think, because the other systems in the AL Central lag pretty far behind, especially uh, the Tigers, the Royals, and the Twins. The Indians at least have some pretty interesting uh, guys up the top. Uh, Luis Alexander Basabe, one of the pieces they got uh, from the Chris Sale trade as well, just 20 years old. He's in the top 100, checks in at 73 on your overall list right now uh, you've got a note in here indicating there's a lot of risk for a top 75 prospect but what kind of payoff are we looking at if everything comes together uh, for Luis Alexander Basabe I think he could be a 260 hitter that's a 2020 threat like for for five or six straight years and those aren't that easy to find I mean the the batting average is is the big risk because you know, he's a guy that if you're the Red Sox, you're fine including him in a deal like that because there's just so much risk. You're just, you know, there's there's a chance he just never really develops into even a, a regular platoon guy. Like he he might just be like a fourth outfielder, or maybe even worse than that if the, if the hit tool uh, comes up a little bit short. But you know, there's enough power speed here. Uh, you know, he hit for enough power as a teenager at low A. That, that that really kind of has to to put him on radars, and 
he's owned in a lot of you know serious leagues right now. But th- this is a guy that could, you know, in two years we could be like, yeah, he just he never amounted to anything, or he could be a guy that that is going in the the top seventy five in, in drafts. Yeah, fair amount of risk, but a nice potential payoff if you end up rostering Basabe in a multi year keeper league. Uh, Ronaldo Lopez came over as part of the uh, Adam Eaton trade. This is a guy that I think kind of like Michael Kopech probably benefits from the deal and that he'll get more opportunities as a starter with the White Sox than he would have received had he remained in Washington. It seems like he's ready to go pretty soon after opening day if he doesn't crack the rotation uh, initially. What hurdle does Ronaldo Lopez have to overcome to be a successful big league starter? I think he's got a I just I view him very very similarly to the late Jordano Ventura. Like I just think that they're almost identical in terms of repertoire size. Uh, you know, I think Ventura was kind of on a track where you weren't really sure how much longer he was going to start. I mean, the command was an issue. I, I, I could see that being an issue for Lopez, where you know there will be a few starts mixed in where he's just dominant and everything's working, and then. You know he'll he'll struggle to go five innings. I could see him having an issue with a, a full starter's workload. I think of like Giolito, uh, Carson Fulmer, and Lopez. Th- those guys are all really close to contributing in the big league rotation. I think Lopez has. Uh, I could see them moving him to relief quicker than those other two guys. I just think that his stuff is ready to play at a really high level out of the bullpen right now and. Um, you know, maybe they, the fact that they're where they where they're at, they, they give them a longer leash. But I think there's just a ton of bullpen risk here long term. Could he be like a, a Dylan Batances for the White Sox? <sighs> Man, I mean, <laughs> it's, a, it's a lofty, it's a high <laughs> yeah, bar. That's a. Uh, I mean, he could be like uh, Edwin Diaz. I mean, yeah, that's you know. that's really good. Yeah. I mean, if that's what he ends up becoming as a reliever, I think people are going to be pretty happy. Uh, Carson Fulmer, who you just mentioned, inside the top 200, but just outside the top 150 on your overall list right now. Uh, the frame, just six feet tall, is the, probably the biggest concern as far as his chances of being a starter long term. And if you had to, to handicap it right now, what's the what are the odds that he actually develops as a starter and sticks in the rotation beyond this season? Uh. You know, I, I'd say it's like 50-50. Um, the command, I mean, his everything was just kind of a mess last year. Uh, he, you know, with that with that slight um, stature, I guess, you, you have to, everything needs to be working, like, on point for, for you to not get hit really hard. He was kind of slouched, I guess, in, in his uh, stance on the mound and just wasn't generating any plane at all and was getting teed off on they've kind of addressed that and he and he's been throwing from a more upright position and maybe that helps i mean the command was just such an issue last year he's got the he's got the arsenal to to start for sure like i i'm more confident in the depth of his pitch mix uh, than i am with lopez but you know the the command's going to be an issue i mean they, they might have two just really power arms though in those two guys if they want to move them both to the bullpen long term did you look at a guy like Dane Dunning? I mean, he's a long ways away, but he was the the extra piece in some ways uh, at that deal with Adam Eaton. I think he's kind of intriguing if we're in a league that 
has more than 200 prospects rostered. Uh, Alec Hansen, also a guy in the draft last year, they got a deal on. You can kind of read up on them in James's article. Uh, 69 prospects you need to know from the AL Central. Rotowire.com slash pod, P-O-D. You can get a free 10-day trial to the site if you're not currently a subscriber. Uh, the last White Sox player I want to bring up is Charlie Tilson because he's, you know, he's ninth on this list within their organization. He's at 163 overall on the prospect list, but he's an example of a player who has a prime opportunity to deliver this year for fantasy owners because his primary tool is plus speed. And you and I have talked about this a lot in the office. Bad teams like to run, and the White Sox, by all accounts, are going to be a pretty bad team in 2017. Yeah, I mean, the, this is kind of a theme that just keeps keeps going, but like this guy really, really benefited from that trade. Uh, the, the Cardinals... He he just wasn't really ever going to be more in a fourth outfielder with them, but now he's on this this bad White Sox team. Uh, the Adam Eaton trade just opens up. You know he he could be their their center fielder for the next four or five years if he hits. Uh, it's a big if. I mean it, he he might hit like a, a really empty like two seventy five or two eighty, and then at that point you got to look at like how good is his outfield defense? Does it does it make sense to continue with him in in an everyday role? But as long as he's playing every day, I think he makes enough contact for his speed to be useful in, in especially deeper leagues. Let's uh, shift the focus now to the Cleveland Indians. Francisco Mejia, I believe at one point last season, was Milwaukee-bound and a deal that was going to send Jonathan Lucroy to Cleveland. That trade, of course, got blocked. Lucroy went to Texas instead, and now Mejia is the top-ranked prospect in Cleveland's system. Uh, what type of offensive catcher? are we looking at here and is is he also one of those guys that's going to have no difficulty staying behind the plate or is he more in line to maybe have to prove as he continues to advance that he belongs defensively as a catcher i you know i never really thought he had any any danger of moving off the plate but uh one scout we were talking to in arizona was just really dogging his framing skills and you know, I hadn't heard that before. I mean, I, I know that his arm is like the, his best asset as a catcher. He's, he's just got a huge arm, uh, but he's maybe not the best receiver. I still think, given his age and given the type of offensive profile he offers and the and the arm, I think he does stick behind the plate. Maybe he's just like an average or slightly below average defender there. But I, I think his offense, his offensive profile is a lot like the guy that he was almost traded for in Jonathan Lucroy, where. He's going to hit for a really high average, and it's it's maybe like 45-grade 45, 45 power, maybe maybe 50-grade power if he really maxes out there. And at catcher, I mean, a guy that hits like 285, 290 with 15, 18 home runs annually, I mean, that's, that's a huge that's a huge get. Yeah, it was a big jump for him last year. He split his season between uh, low A and, and high A, so 60 games in the Midwest League, and uh, I think it was uh, 42 games in, in – uh, uh, one of the leagues out east, but you look at the the progress. I mean, he hit over 300 at both levels by a, a pretty good margin. 11 combined home runs in just 102 games. He was driving in runs. Seems like uh, everything's there offensively for him to have a lot of success. And he wasn't striking out uh, hardly at all, drawing some walks too. So it looks like a really interesting profile for a switch hitting catcher too in Francisco Mejia. So a really interesting piece uh, top the list for Cleveland. Uh, Tristan McKenzie is their number two ranked prospect just outside your top 50 uh, overall. Just 19 years old, probably going to begin the season at high A. Uh, what type of long-term ceiling are we talking about with McKenzie as we're looking at uh, Dynasty League targets? 
you know, he's he's one of my favorite pitching prospects in the minors right now. Uh, I guess if you wanted to be like a glass half empty type of person, you could say that he's kind of reminiscent of Carl Edwards Jr. in terms of his frame and the risks that kind of go with that. Like he he might just not be able to add enough weight to be able to withstand a, a full you know big league starter workload. But he's just nineteen. Uh, I mean, he's just got all the tools, really. I mean, you've got to project a little bit of velocity uh, gains in the coming years, assuming he adds a little bit of weight. But right now, it's it's still like an, a low 90s fastball with uh, potential for a plus curveball, plus changeup, really good command. I mean, he's just so projectable and so young and, and has had so much success. Like, I'm a huge fan, and he's a guy that, you know, the – that's the guy that the, the Brewers were trying to get in that Lucroy deal that the Indians just were not willing to give up. Yeah, it gives you a pretty good idea as to how he's being valued right now by the Indians because they were going all in last year, willing to move a lot of players, and that Tristan McKenzie was on the list of guys they didn't want to move says a lot. Uh, a lot of position players behind McKenzie rounding out most of the top 10. I mean, Greg Allen, probably not a full season away. I mean, he's a little old because he played college ball. He's probably going to start the year at double A, just outside the top 50 on your overall prospect list right now. But he's showing great OBP skills so far in the minors. Uh, looks like he's not only just a speedster, but a guy that may have a plus hit tool to go with it. Yeah, people are really split on Allen. And, you know, I have him ranked in the top 70. If you were just doing like a start from scratch dynasty league draft, you might be able to wait till like, pick 140 on him because it's just i mean i one 140th overall prospect i mean he he's just all over the map right now uh the age scares some people off i think uh some people just see a fourth outfielder but i think he can really hit and his approach is excellent i mean he he walked more and he struck out at, at high a before moving up to double a uh towards the end of last year and he, he continued to hit there he was selling out i think for a little bit of power in the the arizona fall league but but was still getting on base a ton there and and stealing a ton of bases i mean this is a guy that could be a you know well-rounded everyday center fielder and i i think he's honestly i think he's safer than than bradley zimmer who's um you know got more name value and, and probably ranked higher by most people but i i just I'm, I'm worried so much about zimmer's ability to make contact uh, whereas with Allen, I don't, I don't really see that being an issue. Yeah, we did a prospect roundtable. I think it was maybe two years ago now, and I, I am far from a, an expert in ranking prospects, but that was the thing in Bradley Zimmer's profile that really had me kind of down on on taking chances on him is that he was striking out a lot in the low minors, and that's for a guy that went to college. You mm-hmm. know, like that's that's not something I'm generally comfortable with. Yeah, the payoff might be pretty good for those who took that chance a couple of years ago. Maybe he is a 2020 player. I think the, the good news is if you're a Bradley Zimmer owner in a keeper league, he's probably going to get an opportunity at some point this season. They have some needs in the outfield. A lot of questions with Michael Brantley's health still, even as spring training gets underway. Uh, center field right now, I mean, they've got Austin Jackson and Abraham <laughs> Almonte and, and Tyler Naquin battling for playing time and, and all i can see in my head is just the indians outfield looking confused with tyler naquin and center field in the playoffs last year so there's a, a pretty easy path for zimmer if he proves that you know he's not going to strike out 35 or 40 percent of the time once he gets the call yeah i mean there's a there's an easy path for both of these guys uh that's about as bad of a 
outfield core as I can recall on a team that's got World Series aspirations. I mean, it, there's just not much there. So, you know, if these guys hit, uh, they'll they'll definitely get a chance. Zimmer, I mean, he's yeah. I mean, it, there's just there's some red flags there. I mean, 24 year olds who are striking out like this in the upper levels, where his strikeout rate is going in the wrong direction, like. You know, sometimes guys come into pro ball and they they take a you know a couple of years to to kind of get get their legs. But I mean, his there's a lot of things that worry me about his his profile. But he does have the the speed and the power. So I mean, you got to hold him in in most formats. Yeah, you, the other factor, I guess, with the Indians, Lonnie Chisenhall to me is no no guy that you have to lock in. I mean, no. he hit 286 last year, but it's pretty empty. Eight homers. I think he's okay defensively and right, but nothing. Nothing special. Nothing special to the point where you're going to deal with uh, mediocre production. So there's a lot of ways they could uh, reshape the outfield and get those younger pieces involved. Uh, Bobby Bradley also in their top five organizationally right now. He's a first baseman. Uh, average is a concern. OBP might be a little better. I mean, what's the timetable on Bradley? Is he still a full season away from getting that first opportunity? You know, at, at least. I mean, he's he's a guy that I think you got to go one year at a time with, uh, one level per year, with just because of the the strikeout concerns. Um, I mean, his he's got as much game power as anyone in the minors right now, and that's certainly interesting. I mean, he just ambushes pitches that are that are up in the zone or, or you know belt high, and and just takes them out with such force. Uh, but I, I I wonder, you know, he he's going to be better in OBP leagues because he does he does walk a little bit. Uh, but I, I just I don't know if the batting average ever gets higher than like two forty five, maybe two fifty in his peak seasons. But you know, if you're a first baseman that that's hitting you know fourth or fifth, uh, and you're you know hitting two forty five, but getting on base at like a three sixty clip and and hitting thirty plus homers a year, I mean that that's kind of reminiscent of. You know Carlos Santana, who's who's in the organization already. I mean, it could be that kind of a profile. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of interesting to think that Carlos Santana was once acquired, I think, for Casey Blake yeah. as a catching prospect from the Dodgers. But uh, Bradley, you're, you're, it makes a lot of sense to go level to level. So it could be 2019 before we see him uh, really getting a, an everyday look, and then things will change quite a bit with the uh, top of the. Indians organizational depth chart at the corners between now and then of course uh, as you look outside of their top fives or anybody else of note that you'd want to consider in a dynasty league is maybe under the radar right now with the chance to, to jump up on this list in the next year uh Oscar Gonzalez down at 12 um I have him ranked 266 overall in the top 400 so not a guy that you need to roster necessarily uh, even in really deep leagues but I mean, he's he's got the most impressive tools outside of the top six. He could be just a, a monster home run producer in, in right field. He's got some some swing and miss issues that he's got to straighten out. I mean, that that's the big risk in the profile. But if he can if he can make strides in that department, this is a guy that could uh, really improve his stock as he possibly gets a taste of full season ball towards the end of the year. Let's talk about the Tigers farm system now. Uh, this is a team that perennially kind of like the white Sox uh, are prior to this year where i look at them and i see very little that i'm interested in uh, from a fantasy perspective they have one guy inside the top 100 one guy who's at 100 in matt manning and then only one other player in the top 300 in joe jimenez who uh, is 
a guy that I think Tigers fans are expecting a lot from because they don't have a lot of prospects <laughs> and they're excited to see one maybe come through and actually contribute uh, at the big league level. Yeah, it's a bad, bad state of affairs on the farm if the guy that everyone's clamoring for is a reliever and they were all like our our buddy Nick Schlain, who's a Tigers fan, was like texting me last year. Like he was bummed that Jimenez didn't get a cup of coffee in September. It's like this guy's a reliever. He might be your future closer, but like still, like that's not typically what a fan base is upset about when it comes to prospects not getting the call. So that that definitely speaks to how bad this system is. Uh, I really could have I, I could have drawn the line at at like four and not not even listed like the last the last five or last four guys but um you know manning is after guys like groom and pint from last year's draft class he's got as as much upside as any of the the prep arms uh big fastball really good size really athletic uh has shown good control so he's he's a guy that could really shoot up lists if he impresses at low a this year and then christian stewart who who we saw at uh in the fall league i mean he's got big raw power i i just have a really hard time you know seeing him as more than a strong side of a left field platoon type of guy because the defense is so bad um i just don't see him getting everyday at bats out there unless they just don't really have any options i i could see him sort of you know if you if you want to be really high on stewart maybe he's he's a's chris davis uh that that's not you know crazy to to envision just based on his his power um and and kind of the defensive profile but i could also see him struggling to make contact at an acceptable clip as he gets more more reps at double a and then moves up to triple a so uh kind of a flawed bat first type of prospect yeah you got to see that k rate go down he was at double a to finish last year struck out 26 percent of the time he has drawn walks everywhere like you said but if that K rate doesn't come down, it's going to be difficult for him to tap into that power against even better uh, pitching as he continues to advance. But yeah, this is a, a very weak farm system right now, as is the Royals farm system. I mean, you look at uh, this list, you've got Matthew Strom as their best piece in the organization right now, 132 overall among prospects. They do not have a prospect in the top 100. They only have three inside the top 200. Strom probably outside the rotation right now might have to go back to AAA if he's going to stay stretched out. Otherwise, he could work out of the bullpen. Josh Stomont's kind of interesting. He uh, late last season kind of figured things out. It looked like from a control standpoint, and if he's able to hold on to those gains, he strikes me as the kind of player that could be maybe a hundred spots higher on the overall list as soon as next year if he's not in the big leagues contributing perhaps out of the Kansas City bullpen. Yeah, I think. I mean Stalmont, I mean he's he's got so much upside. His his stuff is just absolutely nasty. Uh even the the Royals guys, like the guys that that cover that that system are are not quite ready to buy in on those control games just just because he he was I mean it wasn't like fringe average control before that. It was like well below average control. Like he just had no idea where it was going some of the time. So it's hard to really be confident about those gains last year, but you're right. If if he if they are legit, then then he's a guy that should be about a hundred spots higher. Uh, I kind of see them doing what they did with Strom last year, where if he's throwing enough strikes, they they debut him in the big leagues as a reliever. I mean, they, they're really 
into that kind of developmental plan because of, of how it worked with uh, Danny Duffy. And that's kind of what I, th- I see them doing with Strom uh, this year. Like they're going to keep him uh, in the big league pen at least to start the year. But then I think as maybe a rotation spot maybe opens up, uh, they start to slowly stretch him out, and then Stalmont could be on the, the same kind of track next year. He's currently on the outside looking into the top 200, but Khalil Lee is kind of interesting. I know he's a player you've got ranked a bit higher than some other places. Uh, what do you like about Khalil Lee and, and how far away? I mean, he's like, he's like four years away from the big leagues, right? Yeah, uh, he was a, a two-way player. A lot of people, like I think even on draft day when the Royals took him, there was some... You know, conflicting reports as to whether they were going to leave him as a pitcher or, or keep him in the outfield. Uh, he he's got tools like he he's got plus raw power. Um, you know, struck out a little bit, but I think as he just focuses strictly on on hitting and, and playing the field, uh, this is a guy that that could really surprise some people. He's not getting taken. You know, even I've I've done some mock uh, drafts where we you know just focus on the the incoming class of guys, and you know he's not he's not going at all. Like people people just aren't really paying attention to him. I think that's kind of a mistake. He can run a little bit right now. By the time he gets to the big leagues, that's maybe not a big part of his game. But um, you know, he's he's athletic. He's got power. I was impressed with what he did last year, at rookie ball. Now let's talk about the twin system. Uh, Nick Gordon at the top top 75 overall at number 75 uh, Eric Kirilov is the only other twins prospect in the top 100 with Nick Gordon people know the name of course and and the expectations I think are, are pretty clear he's not his brother he's got a little more power a little less speed solid hit tool maybe not a guy that's ever going to hit 300 or if he does it's only going to be in his best years but he's probably owned in most dynasty leagues already so where do you go if you're looking for value right now in this twin system because for me it looks like a list of players that has a very limited ceiling in many instances yeah i think you know fernando romero is probably available in a good chunk of leagues just because last year was you know he he'd been hurt for a while and then he comes in last year and and just really impresses uh that high a and you know, there's some size issues. Maybe he maybe he ends up in relief, but I mean, the the stuff's good enough that I think he's worth worth taking a gamble on. Uh, and then, you know, Wander Javier and Lewin Diaz, super high risk, super far away from the big leagues, but both to me are, are worthwhile gambles if you just want to chase a little bit of upside later in your your drafts. I mean, I think Diaz probably heads to to low A this year. You know, he he really cut down the strikeouts. They were they were kind of uh, taking it really slow with him at rookie ball last year, he kind of broke out a little bit. I mean, maybe he, maybe those gains are just kind of artificial because of his age. But we'll see this year. And and, and Javier, if he can just stay healthy, uh, he can stick at shortstop. He could be a twenty-five homer shortstop down the road. But it's going to be you know four or five years from now. Yeah, it seems like the guys that have the ceiling in this system are ones you have to wait on for quite some time. And you can check it out. Again, AL Central, 69 prospects you need to know. James Anderson wrote that up, went up on Wednesday. Check it out, rotowire.com slash pod. Get a free 10-day trial if you're not currently a subscriber. It's going to wrap things up for this episode of the Rotowire Prospect Pod. We'll be back with you next week. This is the story of Harry's. For decades, one big razor company has relentlessly increased prices and reaped immense profits at the expense of its customers. Then one day, an ordinary guy got ripped off buying razors. 
He was so fed up that he and his best friend started a company to fix shaving. They called it Harry's. By taking less profit and selling online, Harry's can offer quality blades for less. You can even get Harry's 5-blade razor and shave gel for free when you sign up. Just cover shipping. Click or go to harrys.com and enter code RAZOR at checkout. That's RAZOR, R-A-Z-O-R. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.